Well, good morning again, and greetings in the Master's name this morning. I am beginning something today that I wanted to do for um, five years. Um, Reach through the book of Romans. I don't know that I've ever heard a series of messages from the book of Romans, um, but I hope we can be blessed and encouraged by study of it. So the title this morning is Romans Introduction and Overview. I'm hoping as we go through this series, planning uh, to have some special singing with each of each one of the messages. I've enlisted uh, Franklin's and Delmar's to organize that for me. Um, so we'll, that's something that hopefully we can look forward to. Um, and I also want to have, as I go through the book, I want to have a word in focus each uh, with each message. Basically look at a word that comes up in the, in the text that we're looking at and look at what that word means in a New Testament context. The book of Romans was written by Paul when he was in Corinth, and somewhere it was somewhere between 55 and 58 A.D. Scholars don't know exactly what time, but it was before the persecution that began under Nero in 64. Paul had not yet been to Rome, and we draw that from chapter 1, but apparently, based on comments in chapter 1 and also in chapter 15, the church had been the church there in Rome had been established for some time, and that that church was well known by the other churches throughout the world. The Roman church had not yet suffered persecution at this point. But it was fast approaching. So, 64, we're at less than 10, was it less than 10 years, somewhere around 10 years before uh, persecution, maybe eight, five to eight would be better, um, before persecution started there in Rome. I believe that the Holy Spirit through Paul was preparing the church for that through this letter. it has a very comprehensive explanation about what it means to be a Christian in the world. And that's part of the reason why this book is special to me is because of how, how comprehensively it looks at the Christian life and, and really humanity as a whole. I'll talk just a little bit more about that later. Thinking about a little bit about Rome at the time. I'd like to to think about how it compares, just a minute, how it compares with the times that we're living in today. Roman culture during the time that this letter was written was a very privileged culture. They had much wealth, much privilege, lots of entertainment, they were very, uh, they very freely overindulged themselves, and they had degenerated 
into quite a bit of sexual perversion. And their celebrities, if you will, the popular people of the Roman um, elites were very much engaged in similar lifestyles to what we see happening in our world today. Uh, Particularly, uh, homosexuality was a big part of Roman culture in the elite Roman Roman people. So having said that, that makes the contents of this book applicable to very applicable to us. Uh, because Paul was speaking to a group of people who were facing and living in a world that is similar to the world we're living in. Now it was somewhat different in the sense that technology is different today, but the basic structure of people, who we are and what constitutes a culture was very similar. Uh, I mentioned it being very comprehensive explanation. I think there's something else that we need to think about uh, in relation to this book as we get started here. This was written as a letter, and it's a long letter. And for that reason, we often avoid it for things like this, like preaching a, a series through the book of Romans. We're probably looking at, sorry, about two years of messages from the book of Romans uh, to get through this book. And so we often avoid it for things like Bible studies, church studies, to preach through for a series because of its length. But it's meant to be a whole. Paul wrote this letter as a complete letter. And it needs to be understood as a complete letter. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to give an overview was because I wanted to, to present to you somewhat the, the, the big picture of the book of Romans and the fact that all of this goes together. Everything that Paul wrote in there goes together. It's very easy for us as people to take a book of Romans, a book like Romans that has so much content in it, and to focus on a chapter or a verse or some passage or some word in the book and to draw out of it a... Um, a conclusion that Paul's not actually making because what he is, the point that he's making with what he's saying is in the context of the whole, not in the context of simply that chapter alone. And a lot of the false doctrines that I interact with, with the uh, billboard evangelism, sorry, billboard evangelism phone line, a lot of the false doctrines that I hear come from the book of Romans, they select a section of the book of Romans and they pull it out and blow it up and make it really important. And then they actually will discredit other aspects of the same book or other aspects of the New Testament. And so they end up with a false doctrine, a false doctrine looking at Scripture because they don't look at it in this context. So I want to look at an overview this morning one of the things that Paul does is he will, he, will, he will start an argument, and as he goes through the argument, he will bring in another aspect. And so it will actually look like he shifts gears um, and starts addressing something else. But he'll pull this other thing in, and he'll talk about it for a couple of verses, and then he'll bring what he was talking about previously up and put them together and state a conclusion. And I have an example of that for you from Romans chapter 5 starting at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's talking about Adam. 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offenses might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So he's talking about Adam, and he brings in the law in its relationship with sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So he brings both of those together. Adam's sin and the law. And he brings those together and he says that sin reigned unto death. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And so he's bringing those two points together, making a conclusion so that he can move on in a progressive um, in a progressive look at what he's trying to present to the Roman people. I'm excited about this study. Uh, the book of Romans was a place where in my personal life, I struggled with assurance of salvation for many years. It was in the book of Romans that I really worked through the assurance of salvation through quite a bit of study of the book of Romans. And so it's a special book to me for that reason. And one of the, my goals in going through this book is to share some of those things that were powerful to me in developing me as a Christian and helping me to understand the Christian life. And many of the things to many of you, they will be things that you already know. But hopefully for some of you, it will be things that will encourage and build you up and maybe give you new insights into what it means to be a Christian. So that's pretty much the overview. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the word in focus... I'm going to read this first, this verse first. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. I'm going to stop there. The word in focus today is the gospel. And specifically, the gospel of God, also referred to as the gospel of Christ. It's mentioned four times in the first chapter and 13 times total throughout the book. The good news of God. In a few words from maybe one or two of you, what is the gospel? What's that? Okay. Thank you. Good news of the kingdom. Good, thank you. Thank you. This book presents the gospel as the revelation of the righteousness of God, the power of God to salvation, and a gospel of transforming grace. I have asked um, them to share some special singing, or I asked Delmar to organize that this morning, so we'll look to them at this time to share a song with us. Right. 
Thank you all. The everlasting gospel through every age prevails. That is the theme of this book. The everlasting gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel is centered around Jesus. And Paul writes this book from perspective of a central focus of the person of Jesus Christ. In all the epistles and, and in this epistle, the context of the written, of what was written, the context of that was an eyewitness account of who Jesus was and what that meant for the Christians. And so as we go through this book, one of the things that the other goal that I have is to take what's said in this book of Romans and connect it with the teachings of Jesus, the life and teachings of Jesus, because there are so many parallels between what Christ said and what the apostles say. But if you get your focus off of Christ and you just look at what the letter says, sometimes you can get off course. And we don't want to do that. We want to connect that with what Jesus says and what he did, how he lived. And so these men that saw Jesus, they wrote these letters and they wrote them from the perspective of having seen him and having known who he was. 
And because of this gospel, in verse 5 and 6, it says, Paul says, We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. And then in verse 6, it says, Among whom are ye also the called? And so he's saying that to the Roman church. But by implication, he's also saying that to you who are, who are also Christians. And so Paul says, I've received grace and apostleship. You are also the call. So he's including us in those who have received grace. But what I want us to catch is one of the bookends of the book of Romans. And that is grace for the obedience of faith. Because of the gospel, we have received grace for obedience to the faith. The other book, the other bookend is at 16, 24 through 26. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which he has kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest by the scriptures to, of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. The grace came to us for the obedience of the faith. Those are the bookends. That's the context in which this book is written as well. Jesus Christ is the focus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the theme. And the coming of the grace of God for the obedience of faith is what, is what Paul is addressing as he goes through this book. So we have received something and as, as Paul goes through this book, he is explaining what has happened and he comes to the end and he says, this is what I told you at the beginning and I'm telling you again, you've received grace for the obedience of faith. And there's no other way to understand this book. If we take the stuff in this book and come up with some other gospel or some other uh, reason or theme or, or message that this gospel is presenting, we're going down the road of false doctrine. In chapter 1, Paul greets and affirms the Roman church. He speaks of his own position and calling in the gospel. And then he declares in verse 16 what the gospel is to him and to all believers. It is the power of God to salvation. And then what in verse 17, what it is to God the revelation of His righteousness. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God to the world. And then, beginning in verse 18, he starts to look at humanity. Humanity apart from God. And God has revealed Himself in the next couple chapters. God has revealed Himself in three ways. The first is through His creation. There in chapter 1. God revealed Himself, but rather than worship Him, we want to remove Him from our knowledge. And He releases us to the cycle of evil degeneration that we have chosen. The second thing is uh, begins in verse 32 and goes into chapter 2, and that is the revelation of God in universal morality written on our hearts. The recognition of the need for judgment is part of that universal morality beginning there in verse 32. 
And then instead of instead of us, our sense of judgment correcting us, it condemns us. We condemn ourselves through our sense of judgment. And this sense of judgment is based on that God-given law um, that's written on our hearts, which is chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The third way that God has revealed Himself is through His law and through the Jews. So God gave His law to the Jews, and then that law that was given to the Jews was to demonstrate to the world what what kind of a God He was. But instead, we find... uh, didn't write down whether it's in chapter 2 or chapter 3, the name of God is blasphemed because of you. So instead of them actually demonstrating what a mighty God he was, God's name was blasphemed because of the Jews. So God revealed himself in these three ways. And every time, and every time, man turned away from God instead of turning toward him. And then in chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, he brings us to a smashing conclusion, this whole thing of God revealing himself. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they, speaking of the Jews? No, in no wise. For we have, we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all going their own way. They are together unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they have used deceit. Poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So he brings us to a smashing conclusion. On the day of judgment, when people stand before God, Every mouth is going to be stopped. No one is going to say, you didn't do it right. Every mouth is going to be stopped. All the world is going to recognize their guilt before God on the final day. And God revealed himself and brought these things about so that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would be guilty before God. But now, the righteousness of God through the law is manifested. Verse 21. The focus goes right back to Jesus, the revealed righteousness of God. And so Paul takes us on this journey to show us who man is, to bring us back to that point. And we begin to build then that through faith in Him, through faith in the gospel, through faith in Jesus Christ, what can happen Uh, He begins to look at justification before God in verse 24. And then he goes on to talk about what is necessary for justification before God. Chapter 3, verse 25, remission of sins is necessary for us to be justified before God. Chapter 4, verse 5, righteousness is necessary for us to be justified before God. Chapter 5, verse 1, we need peace with God. Chapter 5, verse 18, we need life. And all these come through faith in Christ. I'm going to read another conclusion. Chapter 5, verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigned unto death through the law. 
But now grace can reign to life, to everlasting life through Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for the Christian? Very next verse. Shall we continue in sin? Is that what it means for the Christian? Paul says, God forbid. The next three chapters, he begins to talk about what it means for the Christian. Chapter 6 is focused on the new birth. Chapter 7 on the law and the flesh. Chapter 8, the progressive life of the believer. And another conclusion in 8.36. For it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he uses three chapters to bring us to that conclusion that those who have faith in Christ can be transformed into these people who are so close to God that nothing can separate them from the love of God. Chapter 9, he begins to talk about the purpose of God at work among men and why man, why many of the descendants of Abraham did not find the righteousness of God. Chapter 10, verse 3, it says that they went about seeking their own righteousness, but they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse 21 of chapter 10 says that through God, though even though they did not seek God, He continued to stretch forth His hand to them despite their disobedience. Chapter 11, has God cast away His people? He asked at the beginning of the, of the chapter. And He says, no, He has not. But He has established that it must be by grace. It must be by faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And He removed the branches... Why? Because of unbelief. And we'll get into this later, but the, where belief and faith are used, it's the same word. It's the same Greek word. A little bit different forms usually because of different tenses, but belief and faith in the book of Romans are essentially the same thing. Why were the branches broken off? They were broken off because of unbelief. Why were new ones grafted on? Because of faith. You stand by faith. You as a wild olive branch stand by faith. But beware and fear. Because if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither, neither will He spare you. He is also able to bring them back. And then He has another conclusion at the end of chapter 11. Begin reading at verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. We're not going to figure out everything that's in Romans 9, 10, and 11. I can tell you that right now when we go through this study. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. There's so much that we aren't going to know about what God's plan is. But what He has told us is enough that we can know how to follow Him. To whom be glory for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever without looking. What are the next verses? Or next words. 
chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So now he's transitioning to a call to the interaction of the believer in his life, what he does with his body. Why does he beseech us? What is the therefore? Well, it's actually the whole book leading up to this point. It's the whole letter. It's all 11 chapters that come before 12 are the reasons why that he's saying what he is. Because you were lost in sin and guilty before God, because his gospel is full, has fully equipped you to bring you from death to life, because we are transformed into conquerors because of his willingness to work with humanity and to show mercy on all. That's why I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Because of all that God has done, I beseech you. The whole plan of salvation, the whole revelation of himself, I beseech you. And so present your bodies. That means to present your physical existence fully sacrificed and fully given over to Him for His purposes, to prove His will, to show the world, to bring forth fruit that the life dwelling in you that He talked about in chapter 8 will bring forth fruit that will demonstrate the will of God. There is no other way, and Josh Good said this so eloquently at the men's inspirational meeting about being a godly man. There's only one way to be a godly man, and that's by the grace of God. There's only one way to be a godly woman, and that's by the grace of God. There's only one way to be a Christian, and that's by the grace of God. Unless the power of the grace of God is working in us, we cannot fulfill Romans 12, 1 and 2. It has to be through the grace of God. And so you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living, open, available vessel for the grace and power of God to come in and cause you to live differently. And so then he goes on for the next three chapters to address what that looks like for the believer. He talks about brotherhood relationships. Well, not only what we do, but also how we think about those around us. So he talks about both aspects of it. Brotherhood relationships and relationships with all men, those who persecute us, world governments and their leaders. And this can all be summarized with love for all men. Uh, oh, let me, let me go to chapter 13 here. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So the law of God appeared. The Jews didn't, weren't able to perform it. Instead, the, the God was blasphemed because of it. And now it comes up again, and Paul says, For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So he's calling Christians to fulfill that. Verse 14 now, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Look at the example of Christ. If you want to know how to love people, look at the example of Jesus. 
That's, that's how he's summarizing that. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Live like Jesus did. It goes into chapter 14. It talks about how to relate to other believers who are weak in faith. And finally, in 15.3, we look at the example of Christ concluding in verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13 of chapter 15. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That the life that you live as a Christian would be something that is lived through the power of the Holy Ghost. That joy and peace would be yours. That the things that you do would be done through the power of Christ living in you. Paul goes on to share a summary of his work and plans for the future in relation to the Romans. He encourages them in greeting other Christians and sends greetings from those that he is with. And then he brings us to the last bookend, the second bookend. I'm going to read that again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen.